Hi, my name's Elena and I'll be doing the second Bible reading from Psalms chapter 90, verse 1 to 6. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. Uh, thanks, Elena. Uh, my name's Ollie, if I haven't met you, uh, and I'll be uh, preaching a sermon today. And uh, what a joy it is to be in person together again after the, uh, the lockdowns and all that we've had uh, this year. So we do thank God for that. Uh, we'll be working through mostly through Psalm 90, those first six verses. So uh, do keep your Bible open in front of you. But as we begin, I'm going to pray. So please uh, pray with me. Gracious God, uh, we know that your way is perfect and that your word is flawless. Indeed, you shield all who take refuge in it. And so, as we consider your word today, may you help it be a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, nothing lasts forever. I can still remember where I was sitting when I found out that the great Shane Warne was retiring. Uh, if you don't know who Shane Warne is, uh, he's one of the greatest Australian cricketers of all time. Now, uh, some of you might hear me mention cricket and you instantly start zoning out, your eyes start drooping, you almost fall asleep at the mention of it. A match that goes for five days, how ridiculous. Words like silly mid-off, man-cad and hat-trick, I mean, it's such a ridiculous sport, isn't it? But for me, growing up, I loved cricket. And I couldn't tell you how many days, summer days, I spent sitting on the couch, drinking a Pepsi and watching cricket. And my favourite player of all time was Shane Warne. Now, uh, certainly he has some character and moral flaws, but as a cricketer, he was almost perfect. Uh, in my opinion, he's the greatest bowler of all time, and he was a competent and entertaining batter. See, there was never a dull moment when Shane Warne was around. I just loved watching him play. And so even though he retired almost 15 years ago, I can still remember exactly where I was sitting when I found out he was retiring. I can remember what I was doing. I can even remember the great sadness, the sense of loss that I felt at knowing that I'd never get to watch him play again. At the end of an age coming, but nothing lasts forever. And isn't that the way of the world? We know that. Nothing lasts forever. This week was my uh, second week back after two weeks of leave, and I'm sure we all know that feeling as the end of holidays approach and the sadness of having to leave the holidays and go back to work. But holidays don't last forever because nothing lasts forever. Or think about your happiest memory. What was it? Hanging out with friends at school or at uni a job that you particularly enjoyed, spending time with your kids or your grandparents or your parents. Think about your happiest memory. But as good as they are, they're just that, aren't they? They're just a memory. Why? Because nothing lasts forever. Not even good times last forever. 
Even marriages don't last forever. My uh, nana and pa were married for 70 years. It was a great marriage. They loved each other, but eventually my pa died, and their marriage ended after 70 years. See, nothing lasts forever. That's the reality of this world. But actually, it's not entirely true, is it? Because there is something that lasts forever. See, today we're continuing our series in the doctrine of God, God is, and today we're thinking about how God is eternal, that God, in a sense, does last forever. And what a great thing that is, because when good things end, it brings sadness, doesn't it? I mean, isn't that the whole, the whole issue with nostalgia, that feeling of longing for a time that's gone by and will never get back? The older I've got, the more I've, uh, I've kind of felt this sense of nostalgia, of just memories and thinking back to good times that are just gone, never to be here again, no matter how much we might wish they are. But what if, what if the one that satisfies us the most, that brings us the most joy, that loves us the most? What if he and he alone is eternal? What if he and he alone does last forever? I mean, that would be a game changer, wouldn't it? But that's the wonderful, joyful picture we see in the Bible. God is eternal. God does last forever. And as we consider that topic, as we consider the fact that God is eternal, there's lots of places in the Bible we could go. Now, we could go to that wonderful passage in Isaiah 40, and in particular, verse 28. We could look at Exodus chapter 3, where God is, descri- is described as simply being or simply is. But the place we'll spend most of our time is in Psalm 90, because in the first six verses of the psalm, it paints this magnificent picture of just how eternal God is. Now, many of the Psalms in the Bible are by King David around, half of them, but Psalm 90 actually isn't, it's by Moses. And so, what we see, what Moses tells us in Psalm 90, at least the first six verses, are two things. He tells us that God is the everlasting God who predates creation, and that God is the everlasting God who outlasts humans. And so, firstly, God is the everlasting God who predates creation. Moses begins by reminding us that God is eternal from generation to generation. God has been the place that his people can dwell. That is, they can go and they can find rest and they can find refuge. Have a look at verse 1 with me. Psalm 90 verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. And so the NIV there translates it, as we just heard, as throughout all generations, which is a fine translation, but the Hebrew literally says throughout generation and generation. And uh, Hebrew is a challenging language. It was uh, one of the toughest parts of studying at Bible college was having to learn it. It's just such a foreign language that thinks so differently to English. I've actually got, uh, this is my Hebrew textbook, if you'd like to come and have a look at it later. It's uh, an interesting language and uh, many, many differences to English. But one of the similarities between Hebrew and English is that they use repetition of words to create emphasis. And that's what we see here in the Hebrew. It's generations and generations. That is, every generation, all generations, any generation you can think of, that's when God's been there. 
As humans, we last for a few generations, and so uh, what we'll see on the screen is a photo of uh, Levi with Cassie and I and with my parents, and so that's three generations on screen. Uh, what I'll show you here now is the next one. Uh, you'll see four generations. That's my brother, twin brother. With uh, She's quite small there, but Alexis, my niece. And that's my dad standing in the background with my nana there as well. So that's four generations. And as humans, we kind of last for around three or four generations. If we're particularly long-lived, we'll last for maybe five generations. But the thing about God is that God lasts for every generation. In a sense, since the beginning of the invention of cameras, every photo of a family that's existed, God has been there. Every family gathering throughout all of history, God has been there because God lasts forever. Throughout generation and generation, God is there because God is eternal. See, nothing lasts forever except for God. And in fact, he's been there even since before the world existed. Now, that's what Moses tells us now. He says that even before mountains were born, even before mountains were made, God was there. Have a look at verse 2 with me. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And see, mountains are one of the most permanent things we can think of. I'm sure it's hard for us to think of something that seems more permanent than mountains. For example, think about Mount Dandenong. I'm sure it's, it's just near here. I'm sure most of us have been there. We've been up on the lookout. You've seen maybe even at night the wonderful uh, lights and city view that it gives you. But think about how long Mount Dandenong has been there for. Uh, certainly it's outlasted Shane Warne, was there well before him and well after It's been there since well before my uh, grandparents got married, 70 years of marriage, well before that, and it's outlasted them. In fact, it's even been there well before humans lived in Australia. See, if we were to try and think of something that would symbolize or picture eternality, we could do much worse than think about mountains. But what Moses reminds us here is that even something as eternal as mountains had a birth. There was a time before the mountains existed, and at that time, before mountains existed, God was there. See, you'll again notice in verse 2, the repetition, everlasting to everlasting, it's meant to mirror that generation to generation we heard, and so from generation to generation, from everlasting to everlasting, God is eternal. I mean, it's truly mind-blowing, isn't it? I mean, we might have difficulty thinking about what existed or what it was like before the world existed. We might think, oh, it's just an empty black void, but then we realize that black is actually something, so maybe it's an empty white void, but white is something. But somehow, there was just nothing. And in that nothing, God was there. God is eternal. God simply is and always has been and always will be. And that God is a God worthy of all praise and all honor. See, God is the everlasting God who predates creation. But God isn't just a God that kind of predates all that we see out there and around us because Moses now brings it in straight to us. He tells us God is the everlasting God who outlasts humans, who outlasts you. Did you see what it says in verse 3? It's a little bit morbid, but have a look with me. 
you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. See, while God is from everlasting to everlasting, from generation to generation, us humans, we're simply dust. It says, return back to dust, which is almost an echo of Genesis 3, isn't it? From dust to dust. And the point is clear, us humans are so fragile, so temporary. When we die, we go into the ground and we turn to dust. Uh, At Growth Group the other day, someone uh, told us the story about a body they'd seen, a photo they'd seen of a body that had been cremated, and all that was left was a pile of dust with a prosthetic hip. So the prosthetic hip had somehow survived being cremated and presumably there, ready to be used again. But how depressing is that, that after all our life, what it ends in is just a pile of dust. All those years spent looking after our bodies, eating right, sleeping right, exercising, and yet in the end, we're just dust. It really puts life into perspective, doesn't it? That's what we are as humans, dust. Here one moment, gone the next, because nothing lasts forever, especially not us humans. But in contrast, for God, a thousand years is like a day. Have a look at verse 4. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. I mean, we might be quite familiar with that language, it's a biblical concept, but have you ever stopped and actually thought about it? A thousand years are like a day to God. Think about it. What did you do yesterday? What did you do yesterday? Uh, for, for me, we went to the Huynh's place for a staff dinner. It was a great time. And actually something happened that I thought was impossible, I thought would never happen. John actually cooked for us, and so um, wonders never cease. And despite what you might be thinking, it was actually good. It was very good. And so I think that memory will stay with me for a long time. But the, the memories are vivid. The taste, I can still taste them in my mouth because it was yesterday. And I'm sure whatever it was you did yesterday, the memories are still fresh and clear in your mind. But you see what it's saying here? For God, that's what the last thousand years are like. A thousand years, that's more than 40 generations. Your great, 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 grandpa and grandma were alive. 40 generations. The year was 1021. Uh, there's people still rode around on horses. There were no TVs or phones or electricity. I mean, it's such a different world, isn't it? It's so different we might even struggle to picture what it was like. And yet for God, that world is as clear to him as yesterday is to you. See, God is eternal, everlasting, so everlasting that the span of a thousand years is like yesterday. And that's then contrasted in five and six again with us as humans. God sweeps us away in death like grass that springs up in the morning and then withers by the evening. Have a look at verses five and six with me. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up, but by evening it is dry and withered. I mean, it's such a vivid picture, isn't it, of the hot sun beating down on new grass. 
And as we all know, I mean, we've got a very hot sun here in Australia. I'm extremely pale, and so I'll get uh, sunburned easily if I go out in the sun. And my twin brother's exactly the same. I can still remember a time when we were younger, we went to the beach, and he got, he got badly sunburned on his shoulder, so badly sunburned that it was uh, blistering and, and extremely painful. But being young boys, we decided the best thing to do the next day was to go out and play cricket again. And so he went out, I don't know why, but he just wore a singlet, Probably wasn't the smartest move, but he ended up getting sunburned on top of the sunburn so bad that the blisters turned into giant, weeping, pus-filled blisters. I mean, we know that, don't we? That's the power of the sun. And in the same way here, the picture is of new grass that springs up in the morning. It's fresh and it's green and it's entering into life yet there's no plant sunscreen, and so the hot Palestinian sun beats down on it all day, sucking the moisture out so that by nighttime, it's all dried out and withered, no longer green, but a dull and crispy brown. And Moses says, compared to God, that's what you're like. Our whole lifetime is like a day to God. We're born in the morning, and we're dead by the evening. Do you ever feel that? Do you ever feel that tenuousness, that shortness of life? I think I feel it the most when I see the sudden loss of life, and I wonder whether you're the same. I mean, just a few weeks ago, we heard that sad story of that uh, lady that was killed in the accident at the movie set. Uh, She went into work that day not knowing that it was going to be her last few hours on earth. She said goodbye to her husband in the morning, not knowing that that was the last time she'd ever see him. She hugged her young son before she left for work, not knowing that that was the last time she'd ever see him again. It's the suddenness of it, I think, that makes it so haunting, so tragic. One tragic misfire of a gun, one tragic accident, and life is done. She was gone. Or what about the young man in Sydney who went out for a surf on Father's Day this year? is attacked by a shark and killed. They couldn't revive him on the beach. Never got to say goodbye to his parents. Never got to say goodbye to his friends. There was no warning, no heads up. Just went for a swim one day and dead. I mean, it's tragic, isn't it? That's what life is like, though. It's so temporary, so elusive. Here one moment, gone the next. Because we don't last forever. Nothing lasts forever. Except for God. Because while we're here one instant and gone the next, that's not the case for God. He has no beginning and no end. He's not tragically killed in a workplace accident. He's not killed while out for a surf. He doesn't get sick and die. See, God is eternal from everlasting to everlasting, from generation to generation. God is always there. See, nothing lasts forever except for God. And imagine how great that would be to be God. Imagine living like that, free from the constant pressure of time, free from aging. I mean, what a way to live. And yet, the amazing thing about our eternal God is that the eternal took on mortal flesh because God is the everlasting God who came down as a man. See, Jesus Christ, who is fully God, entered into time and became subject to the conditions of time. See, the one who made the moon and the sun and the stars, the one who made the planets, entered down onto one of those planets 
and felt the passage of time because of those stars. He saw the sun rise and the sun set. See, the one who holds time in his hand entered into time and he aged and he hungered and he slept and he experienced all of those things that we experience. It's astounding. It's it's truly astounding, isn't it? The eternal God become man. And that's what we see at the beginning of John's Gospel. I'm sure we're all very familiar with it as a passage, but flip open with me to John chapter 1. We heard it read out for us before. So John chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 5, and as I do, just reflect on the way it describes this eternal God who is Jesus. Have a look at verses 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has ever been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I mean, it's so clear, isn't it, that this Word is God. Not just like God, not just with God, but is God. And yet the astounding thing is that this word entered down into the world. Have a look at verse 14 with me. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I mean, it's just mind-blowing, isn't it? The eternal Son of God become a man. The infinite become finite. And so, of course, the question that must evoke in us is why? Why would God do that? Why would the eternal become flesh? I mean, if you were God and if you had life like God had, is that what you'd do? Would you humble yourself in that way? I mean, I suspect we all find it difficult to humble ourselves. Someone at growth group a couple of weeks ago uh, shared their view at work and they said, whenever I'm told to do admin work at work, I hate it. I always think admin, that's so beneath me. I mean, we find it difficult to humble ourselves, don't we? So how much more difficult it must have been for God to humble himself and come down into creation. And so why on earth would God do that? Well, the answer is perhaps even more astonishing than the fact itself or more astonishing than the question. God did it for us, for me and for you so that we might have life, so we might have eternal life. See, that's what the eternal God offers us, an eternity spent with Him. See, the eternal Son of God, in need of nothing, knowing all things, possessing all things, entered into time for us so that we might be with Him for all of eternity. It's it's truly incredible, isn't it? And it means that anyone who trusts in the eternal Son of God's life death and resurrection, has had their sins washed away and now have an eternity waiting that's full of the joys of heaven, an eternity spent getting to know the eternal God better, an eternity spent worshipping Him, the one who made us and gave us all the good things we have, an eternity spent with the one who surpasses our best memories, our best expectations, our best relationships, that's what we have coming. I mean, doesn't that just blow you away? that that's what the eternal God has done for us. 
And so uh, we started today thinking that nothing lasts forever. Sports stars don't. Holidays don't. Even life doesn't last forever. Nothing lasts forever except for God because God and God alone is eternal. And as we dwell on that and as we remember that and as we reflect on that, then I think it helps us think rightly about life and what life is all about. Because I suspect that in our worst moments, we're tempted to think that life is all about us, that we're the star of the show. But when we remember that God is actually the eternal one, do you see how that changes it? It helps us realize that life isn't about us. It's a little bit like this. Imagine if I was in an, an extra in the upcoming new uh, Spider-Man movie. I appear in one scene up the back for two-fifths of a second among another, another hundred people as we stand there and we look at Spider-Man. If that was the case, how do you think I'd feel? Well, I suspect I'd be pretty excited. I probably scrutinize that one scene over and over again as I see the two-fifths of a second that I appear on screen among another couple of hundred people and I'd watch it over and over again. I'd make Cassie watch it over and over again. But realistically, would anyone else care? Cassie and Levi would be excited for me. I'm sure you'd all be politely interested for my sake, but I mean, no one else would care, would they? They probably wouldn't even realize that I was on there, that it was me, and even if I told them, they probably wouldn't care. But imagine if I then hired out a cinema and I invited you all along and I invited all my friends and family and I said, come and watch this new movie that's about me, that I'm the star of. Imagine if I said that. What would you think? Well, you'd probably think I was crazy. Now, this movie's clearly not about me. I appear in the back of one scene for two-fifths of a second among hundreds of other people. I'd be, have to be out of my mind to think that I'm the star of that movie. But you know what? I wonder if sometimes that's what we're like with life. That's what we think and live like. Like the, life, the movie of life is all about us. But for a minute, consider the movie of life with me. Before everything existed, while there was nothing, God was there. Then God created the world. I mean, where were we when God created the world? We weren't there, we didn't even exist yet. After that, God made humans, not just us, but the first human, Adam. Next, humans rebelled against God, and so God flooded the world to clean up the mess that humans had made. A few generations later, God singled out a 99-year-old man and made him the father of all nations. Did you have anything to do with that? I mean, I certainly didn't. Later came Joseph and Moses and David and all sorts of ordinary and inadequate people who God used to bring about his redemptive plan. After that is the climax of the story. God sends his son and while here on earth, the Son of God teaches how to honour God. He lives a perfect life. He dies and is resurrected, then goes up to be with God. And even though the movie isn't quite finished yet, we all know what the climax of the movie is, what the last scene is. It involves people from every tribe and tongue and nation gathered around the throne of God, worshipping and praising the one who sits on the throne, God for he alone is worthy 
to be praised. Do you see how silly it is for us to think that the movie of life is about us? From start to finish, it's clear that life is about the eternal God. We only appear for two-fifths of a second in the background amongst thousands and millions of other extras. See, life is about the eternal God who was and who is and who is to come. And so let me ask you this. What are you going to spend your two-fifths of a second doing? I'm going to pray. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we do uh, praise you that you are the eternal God. While nothing lasts forever, we marvel at the fact that you do. That you are the eternal God who was here before things even existed, who created all things, who sustains all things, and that you are the one who will be praised and honoured throughout all of eternity. And so, Father, we do thank you that this is who you are. We pray that you would help us think rightly about life, that in our two-fifths of a second, you would help us to make much of you, our eternal God. Help us to see life rightly in that way. In particular, though, Father, we do thank you that you, the eternal God, entered down into creation for our sake, so that we might be redeemed and washed clean, our sin might be dealt with. And so we thank you, Father, for Jesus, and we thank you for his death for our sake. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.